Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I've got a little bit of a frog in my voice today. The crud is going around Minnesota, and it hit me, but I'm on the upswing there. Um, so before we get started with our show, uh, which is going to be fabulous, we're going to be talking about the first picture-based dementia screening tool. Um, I always like to tell our listeners a little bit about who we are, because we're always getting new people from around the world listening to us. So um, bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks was created because my mom had dementia for 30 years, and I just really felt there had to be more resources and tools that I could tap into, but I just didn't know where the heck to find them. And so Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort, helping people in the trenches get the resources, tools, products, and services that they need today instead of trying to have to explore on their own because typically when we're in the when we're in the trenches um, alongside dementia, we just don't have the time to do the search and destroy. So we want to make it a little easier for people. We also are known as a um, as a marketing and branding um, company that helps uh, organizations expand their brand footprint uh, through our content and through our our audience. And so um, that's a little bit of our history. And I also always have to thank our audience because it's because of each one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares have been phenomenal, and they have pushed us out all over the world, which has really been a shock from a little girl from Minnesota, just trying to make the world a little bit different. I had no idea the power of social network. And you guys, um, again, if you if you don't mind, keep sharing this information because what we hear back from people is this was so helpful. I didn't know this existed. I've got a, a friend or a family member or, or a colleague that is dealing with this. Or, you know what, I share this on my page and I didn't even know this person was dealing with it, but they, they reached out to them and said thank you. So there are so many people that are touched by dementia that we don't even know because the conversation is not on the kitchen table yet. And we're working at it. and We're getting better. But we, we still need everyone's help. I'd also like to invite you to be our next guest on the show. We are always looking for people to share their story. And like most of you, I was in the trenches with it, and that's how I started. So we talk with people who actually are diagnosed and living with the disease, family members, business professionals, researchers, movie directors, singers, songwriters, authors, advocates, you name it, 
everybody has a place because all of our voices are important and that is what's going to move the needle forward and get us the resources that we need and the research um, so that hopefully one day there'll be a cure. I also want to give a shout out just to a couple of my favorite organizations. One is the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. If you're looking for a holistic way to approach the disease through diet and exercise, meditation, please check them out at alzheimersprevention.org. And then I would be amiss if I didn't give a shout out to Calendar Cards, who has a memory system that helps people manage um, their independence for a longer period of time. And they have so kindly created the Memory Cafe directory which we now have over 500 memory cafes in the United States. And Dave is starting to put together directories for other countries as well. And you can um, access both calendar cards, memory systems, and the memory cafe directory by going to memorycafedirectory.com. That's memorycafedirectory.com. And if you are interested in being listed there, it is free. So just reach out to Dave. And then the Purple Table Reservations is a program that I think is fabulous. It was started by a family who had a loved one with dementia who happened to own a restaurant, and they really saw a need for restaurants to serve differently. So they have put together a training program and are helping restaurants all around the world um, serve the the clientele of those not only with dementia, but it might be autism, it might be post-traumatic stress, it doesn't make any difference. Um, people need to be served differently um, so that there's more dignity and everybody can have an enjoyable time. So go to thepurpletables.com. That's purpletables.com. They also have an app. You can find which restaurants in your area um, are working with the program, and they are new, so they need help. So if you know of restaurants, please pass them on uh, to them. Well, let's get to our show today. Again, I'm really excited um, for this conversation because um, we are always in search of, of better tools to to help when it comes to diagnosing um, different forms of dementia. So today we are really lucky to have Jess, Dr. Jessica Zwirling with us, and she is the director of the Montfury Hudson Valley Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's disease known as the CEAD and she is also the director of the Memory Disorders Center um, and so welcome uh, Dr. Zerling how are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be on and thank you for all your advocacy for our patients and families it's a wonderful resource. Well, thank you. I, I like I said, I'm really excited to have this conversation about screening because I, you know, I deal so much with people living with a diagnosis, and you know, they talk about their their diagnosis changing, and you know, the, how difficult the test can be, and um, and so I'm excited to hear what what you're doing. But before we before we get into your specifics, can you tell us as a whole where are we with the screening process for dementia? Where have we been, and where are we now? 
Absolutely. So many people are never even diagnosed by their doctor. Many patients and families don't carry a documented diagnosis. And as you know, someone in 2018, someone in the United States develops Alzheimer's disease every 65 seconds. And in 2050, that's going to be cut to every 33 seconds. And as you pointed out earlier, there are many, many, many faces of dementia. And dementia care is, is quite quite challenging. And where we're at as far as screening and diagnosis, um, the older Americans sometimes are not aware they have signs and symptoms or that their loved one may meet criteria for dementia or mild cognitive impairment. And a lot of the barriers to screening are some of the limited time that we have at our physician's office, that it may be difficult to detect some of the earlier changes. Some of the some practitioners may not know that there is a suitable screening tool that we'll talk about that can be quick and easy to administer. And often there's difficulty in making diagnosis. So when we look at our primary care practices, almost a quarter to three quarters of patients may have a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and remain undiagnosed. So it's a huge advocacy to try and um, under, underscore the importance of just asking questions and how people's memory are. Agree. And I, I love that you point out the limited time with the doctors because so often, and and maybe I'm wrong, but this is how I perceive it, is, you know, people get comfortable with their doctor. And if there's a way for them to be able to do the screening versus going out to a specialist initially, just because there's that relationship that's developed, um, I, I think it's less stressful on on the patient as a whole. And, and granted, it probably will have to get elevated eventually with more testing and stuff. What is your feeling on that, getting these tools into the clinic so family doctors can, can do this testing? It's actually been a nice mechanism. There was a committee uh, with the Alzheimer's Association that actually operationalized the detection of cognitive impairment, and that was through the annual wellness visit in the primary care setting. So it's actually a reimbursable visit. The annual wellness visit is quite different from your annual physical exam. In the annual wellness visit, um, we actually built in through a mechanism of a federal-funded HRSA grant, I built in cognitive screening into our electronic medical record and taught about valid screening tools that are easy to administer for primary care practitioners uh, for that can take less than five minutes to perform, that are valid in primary care, that have equivalence to the old uh, mini mental status examination. Uh, there are tools that could be administered by non-physician staff. And more importantly, given uh, the diverse cultures uh, in our nation and the worldwide problem with Alzheimer's disease, a lot of these tools need to be free of educational language and cultural bias. So there are screening tools that we have incorporated through um, our electronic medical record. But bringing back to your early point, the first question that we wrote into our screening tools is really asking the question. We don't want to just administer these screens to all comers. We want to know if the patient over the past 12 months is having more confusion or memory loss that's happening more often or getting worse. We don't want to run the risk of having false positive and screening people that may not have corroborative complaints. 
Wonderful. Now, even just with the the verbiage, because I think there's so much hesitancy out there of, well, this is normal aging, and I wouldn't categorize it like that, because, you know, most of us have a lot of denial going on (laughs) when it comes to these issues. Um, and, And then if we bring them up to our friends, you know, I'm pushing 60, and all my friends are saying, oh, yeah, I can't remember what I used to remember, you know, and, and you're kind of part of the part of the group. It's it's become much more normal, but yet there is a fine line between normal aging and and really having some issues here. Um, and do, do the doctors you, use the verbiage in terms of, you know, is this interfering with your daily life? Because to me, that's that's a major trigger point in terms of, of approaching somebody. Cause I think it's so easy for us as, as patients to just kind of blow it off. Well, no, everyone, everyone says they're having the same problem. So no, I wouldn't say I'm having any issues. You bring it, you bring up a good question. You also bring it up at a great point in time or entering holiday season. We've all been uh, in, in, really enamored by electronics. So the important point is to make sure and to start thinking and interacting with your relatives and asking questions. If the recipe that they normally make is not tasting good, maybe perhaps it's because they're forgetting an ingredient. So really looking and speaking and understanding if there's new language difficulty, if there's having difficulty performing familiar tasks, if there's impaired judgments and they're wearing improper clothes as the seasons are changing, Uh, problems with thinking or misplacing things. Now I just want to make the caveat that normal aging can be misplacing where am I glasses and they're on top of your head or around your neck and you don't realize that and you're able to uh, retrace your steps. That's part of uh, normal, that's normal aging. But any changes in mood and behavior or personality or loss of initiative doesn't necessarily mean depression. It could be a warning sign that there are, um, that may be Alzheimer's disease or there may be a, a neurodegenerative process that's going on. And on your point before in remembering names, we all have what I call I-95 traffic on the brain as we get older it may take us longer to recall the name but eventually that may come to you the name of the actor may come to us in the middle of the night but things are slower in processing and that's part of a normal aging process Mm-hmm. Well, I had to giggle when you w- talked about the glasses on top of the head because I've actually had two pairs on top of my head, and I've just gotten so used to the feeling that I don't, I you know, I don't associate that. <laughs> I'm looking right. for another pair, and I, and I get together with my girlfriends, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I've done that so many times," you know, and it's it, it's just it's kind of bizarre how things change um, in terms of of senses and and remembering and the you know process but um and then when you were talking about you know somebody maybe not making a meal the way they used to i remember our family my mom always made this fabulous spaghetti and we sat down for dinner and we almost all choked because she put in she was going to put in um a little bit of of sugar and she put in salt Mm, and she put in a lot of salt and we ended up ordering out. I mean, it was that it was that bad. Um, but there's so many little signs that I think it's easy for families to poo-poo. Or a lot of times families don't talk to one another about them. And when you add them all up, then all of a sudden you go, oh, my gosh. You know, but alone, they don't seem that weighted. And so I think it's really important for families to have, have conversations um, regarding this. And not in a, 
tattletale way. But um, you've got to stay informed, you know, for people's safety. And if there's a way to be able to include that person, too, in a dignified fashion, I think that that's very, very important information. And and I would imagine that that would be greatly helpful to physicians when they're trying to determine what the heck's going on. Absolutely. No, and there's actually variations in health and lifestyle and socioeconomic factors amongst different racial groups that we must account for when we're treating a patient and their family. And one of the points of strength that we learn considering there's no disease-modifying therapy for Alzheimer's disease is really also focusing on that patient-caregiver diet. And at the Montefiore Center of Excellence for Alzheimer's Disease and at our Center for the Aging Brain, we really focus on that patient and their caregiver to really make sure that we... uh, identify risks at home, safety at home. We empower patients to identify healthcare proxies and really advocate for end-of-life directives early on before that insight is gone and that memory impairment progresses. But one of the earliest things to start out is actually asking questions about the memory and starting within your primary care doctor with valid uh, screening tools. Great. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your picture-based dementia screening tool? Absolutely. The picture-based memory impairment screen was actually developed by Joe Vergaze, and it's validated within our cohort uh, in the Bronx as well as other um, countries. And it really only takes um, less than four minutes to administer. We ask if there's a problem with the memory, and we ask patients to identify four pictures. So they'll identify those four pictures, and we'll give them a cue that asks if, well, which one is the fruit, and they may say banana. And then we'll ask them about their function. We'll ask them how they're functioning at home. Do they have trouble uh, driving in and out of the neighborhood? Do they have trouble with their finances? And really get an assessment of their function. And then we'll go back and we'll ask them about the uh, memory and the pictures that we spoke about previously. And it's scored out of eight. And a score of six, seven, an eight is normal. A score of less, five or less, indicates that there may be some memory difficulty. And what that does, and when we ask our primary care practitioners to do additional measures, we're already asking about uh, colon screening, and there's a lot of tasks that are needed within primary care and what we call meaningful use. We need to show our primary care providers, what do I do with this abnormal result? How do I navigate? And we've developed care pathways that helps the primary care practitioner really look at additional best practices of what to do next. Because we all like to have a geriatric psychiatrist or a geriatric specialist, but by and large, a lot of the neurodegenerative disease and Alzheimer's disease will be taken care of by our primary and beloved primary care practitioners. So we developed referral pathways on how to identify certain red flags of when it is needed to refer to a specialist. Wonderful. I know Dr. Nesbaum uh, talks about, you know, he's so glad that these screenings are taking place. He's like, you know, because the brain is really our our most important organ. I mean, it runs everything (laughs) and and how we, how we haven't been screening it is kind of, kind of silly when you think about it. Um, We do heart screenings and all different types of colon screenings, all those types of things. And so it's just nice to see this on the board. And I think part of what we have to do as a society is remove the fear behind this. Um, to get people to speak openly and comfortably that there is life with dementia, if that's 
what it is and to get them to understand that, you know, some symptoms of dementia are correctable too. You know, it could be dehydration. It could be all kinds of different things. And so um, it, it's, it's very important. Uh, and it's also important to address the needs of the caregiver. And I know that you think that that is a, a critical piece as well. Can you share a little insight um, as to your thoughts there? Sure. Um, actually, my, most of my work is focused on the multidisciplinary evaluation and the recognition of dementia, but it comes from a personal experience. Uh, my grandmother had Alzheimer's disease, and she was cared for by the family, but mainly cared for in the home by my uncle. And my uncle actually passed away from a heart attack seven years before her. And so the stress of caregiving is real. There are really biological inflammation that goes on. They have uh, patients uh, and caregivers who care for patients with dementia have an elevated risk of impaired cardiovascular function, risk of stroke, risk of illness. So we really do need to focus on the patient and the caregiver as a dyad and really bring the family in. We have on-site support groups at our site, and we work very closely with our community-based organizations to provide uh, counseling, to provide um, referrals to associations to help with meals, to help with transportation to help with some of the elder law surrounding that's complicated surrounding someone who may be losing their capacity to make their own decisions. So um, one of our aims and one of my personal aims is really to break down the walls between the siloed centers and work with the community-based organizations and have culture-competent tools that recognizing that can be used across many cultures and know the culturally competent resources that are available because what's right for one family may not be right for another. And so we need to be aware as practitioners what's available in the community and really help the caregiver and the patient navigate through these resources. I I love that phrase, cultural competent tools. I mean, that is just, it is so needed um, on so many levels. And it's wonderful to hear that that's being addressed and and seriously taken into consideration. Are there some um, research-driven initiatives to kind of address caregiver burnout? Uh, absolutely. At our Center of Excellence, we actually pre-screen our caregivers when patients um, have an appointment. We have what's called a caregiver stress questionnaire, which is a validated instrument that gives the caregiver uh, time to address some of the needs before the appointment. If they flag positive on their stress level, they're automatically set up with the appointment with our behavioral care manager. So we help them navigate the resources prior to the appointment because it could be really daunting in front of a practitioner when you're bringing your loved one in to address some of your needs. And right now with that disease-modifying therapy, we want to give a chance for the caregiver to be addressed. So we're measuring the stress. We actually are um, embarking on referrals to community-based organizations very early in our evaluation. And we're monitoring outcomes like referrals to community based organization, referral pathways, and um, really capturing patient-centered outcomes at our center of excellence. Oh, that's fantastic because it it is, you know, I always say, you know, dementia isn't an illness of one. It really, it's one of the whole society, but that family structure and that care partner, um, they go hand in hand because if the, if the care partner isn't healthy and balanced, they can't give good, adequate care and, and what they want to give. And so we've, we've got to be able to build in that support for them. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, how is your research being implemented into, um, excuse me, I've got a cough here, <coughs> um, into the Monteforum um, 
system, care system, and um, is that something that people can can use in other health systems as well? Absolutely. It's definitely um, can be replicated, and it's actually through the annual wellness visit mechanism is a reimbursable mechanism. But this tool, the cognitive screens that we're using, are really quick and easy to be taught. So we've um, been into the clinics and into the trenches and work with um, some of our uh, nurse practitioners, um, allied health professionals to educate them not only on the recognition of this disease, but the use of these tools and practice screening tools with them. And those are incorporated in our electronic medical records along with a pathway that once the assessment is needed, we could have our allied health professionals screen. But once the screen is positive, then the provider can provide um, an assessment. And we've um, armed them with red flags. So patients that are younger than 65 who go from normal to abnormal within one year or rapidly progressive or have atypical features like early falls and abnormal motor movements or weight loss that's greater than one year or frequent hospitalizations, those are red flags that they may need secondary referral to our specialty sites. Um, so most of that is really emphasizing um, what are the reversible workups. It's screening for B12 and thyroid and doing imaging to make sure that there's not underlying conditions like stroke, tumor, normal pressure hydrocephalus, really looking at vision and hearing screening because I always say to my caregivers to understand dementia is like going into Times Square, turning someone around 10 times with blinders on and earphones on and earplugs and asking them to navigate uh, through Times Square. So it often gives <laughs> them an understanding of what dementia is for that individual when it's not clear there. Um, we also teach um, some redirection techniques to our home health aides. Any, any t- point of teaching, we spoke about caregivers before, that could be really loosely defined. Caregiver can mean the person that's in another state that's handling one aspect of the care. It could be the home health aide. Um, so it's often important to take the time to teach about techniques and uh, expectations and prognosis of this disease. Yeah, I totally agree. When I go and speak around the country. I remember when I first started, people are like, well, what lane are you going to, are you going to speak to? You know, you have to pick a lane. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to everybody because we all overlap. We all affect one another and we all need a lot of the same information here. And we need to, we need to get this conversation, you know, built up. And, you know, it's amazing. I think so often when um, and we do this as organizations and we do this as families where there's one key person who gets the education and then it's supposed to be passed on. And we know from, you know, just the, the telephone and the can story, that doesn't work all that effectively all the time. And especially with, with busy lives and, and people will come into it and grab different pieces and interpret things a little bit different for their um, for their particular situation. So I think that's a very, very important thing that you're doing is, is getting that information and understanding all the different roles that, a, you know, if you call them a caregiver, a care partner, a care companion um, that are played. And so many people don't even consider themselves in that role. They just see themselves as a spouse or a you know, a, a daughter or a son or a nephew or a grandchild or, or a friend, and they don't even put themselves in there, so they don't think that they need that information because that's not how that's not how they associate themselves. And so, I think sometimes our verbiage needs to 
needs to change with that. I want to be respectful of your time here and um because you said you needed to to scoot here shortly. So, um is there is there a story or um you know a favorite thing I guess that that happened in terms of using the tool that comes to mind to you that might encourage other families to not be so scared to ask? Absolutely. Absolutely. The point of strength is recognizing that there there may be an issue. And these some of the screening tools are very culture fair. They have identifying images for anyone who has poor literacy or diff, uh, that it's very uh, culture fair, very easy to administer. And I encourage to start by bringing all the medications in, getting a screen with your primary care doctor, uh, addressing your concerns. There are many wonderful resources that are out there. And just as we did a wonderful job with identifying our pre-diabetic state, there is a a really continuum when it comes to memory disorders and Alzheimer's disease. There's mild cognitive impairment. And really shifting earlier and the recognition, the identification of this disease is crucial and important in order to empower our patient and families in an era where there's no disease-modifying therapy. So there are lots of wonderful organizations and resources out there. So I I implore uh, individuals who are concerned to speak with their our primary care doctor and and help we'll help you navigate through those resources. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And people can get a hold of Jessica. Uh, Jess, uh, <clears throat> and this cold is getting the best of me. Doctor Jessica Zwirling at nine one four three seven five four eight eight zero. That's nine one four. Three seven five four eight eight zero, or you can always go to their website, which is www dot m o n t e f i o r e dot org forward slash aging dash brain, and that is of course on our. Um, on our radio page and also on our blog. So you can uh, reach out to her at any time. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. This was very informative and it's, it's uplifting to hear um, how personalized um, and how open you are, you are making the screening process. I think it's going to make it much easier for families in the future. And um, I hope this spreads far and wide to clinics around the world. So thank you. And thank you. Thank you for your advocacy and your public health awareness. Great. Um, in wrapping up, I just need to give a uh, a plug for the Roberto app. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, the Roberto app is one where you can actually play games and measure your brain performance. And it's a it's a wonderful tool that people are using not only um, as individuals concerned as maybe they're aging or uh, worried about cognition, but they're bringing this into the schools early. They're bringing this into the workforce because our brain affects everything we do and our relationships that we have and how we do everything. And it's a a pretty economical tool to be able to use. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com on our front page, and there's a code where you can get an extended trial period to check it out. Um, But I I highly recommend it. Again, it's called the Roberto app. And then I would um, like to just give a shout out to um, Care to Plan, which is a new resource source directory that is being put together and I think that that is going to be an absolutely phenomenal 
help to not only clinicians but to families as well uh, because it's going to have a little bit of everybody in there. You'll be able to do geo searches and find out what it is in your area. You'll be able to look up everything from housing to financing to medications to just educational pieces. And Mayo Clinic is one of the major content builders on the site. And um, you'll be able to find speakers and educators, doctors, hospitals, and clinics, because even that is hard for people to find in certain areas as well. So check out Care to Plan. You can just go, you can see the beta test on my site. If you go to, uh, again, alzheimerspeaks.com and then just click on the big resource tab there. I want to wish everybody a wonderful week. And again, um, I want to thank Dr. Zwelling for being with us today. Bye, all. Have a great week. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.